Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Dreesline is with you live talking outdoors. Yeah, is there some sort of football game going on? Uh, hey, if there is, I'd encourage you to have the game on, maybe mute it, and listen to WCCO Outdoors in the background, right? I mean, what's better than live local chat about what's going on across the uh, the fine Minnesota outdoor scene, regional scene? Uh, we had a uh, gorgeous weekend, huh? I mean, you know, it's only in Minnesota do people get worked up about 38, 39, 40 degrees and sun. But uh, no arguing, uh, a lot of melting going on. Uh, it's good for the wildlife. It's good for the critters. Nice break out there for the critters. Uh, you know, they, uh, the, the, the south-facing slopes get exposed, uh, maybe some plant life, some vegetation for the deer to uh, and, the, and the, uh, the rabbits to chow down on a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the melting is good for the fish, believe it or not. You get some of this um, snow melt, and that's highly, oxygen, highly oxygenated water uh, snow melt. And, uh, you know, it's exposed to the air, and it runs off. And it, uh, it brings some oxygen into the lakes, which, uh, you know, oxygen levels typically start to get low later in the winter, right, because there's less photosynthesis under the ice because it's dark under there, and there's less... Um, Less oxygen from the atmosphere dissolves into lakes when you got that uh, nice tight seal on top of ice. So it's uh, this this is good for uh, good for everybody when you get a get a little uh, February thaw like this. We're going to have lots more winter, but I think uh, we all are relieved to uh, to be in, enjoying a weekend like this. We're going to talk a lot about Pheasant Fest, which is next weekend at the Minneapolis Convention Center. So in less than ten minutes. Jared Wickland from Pheasants Forever is going to join me. We're going to talk about Pheasant Fest. It's a great event. Uh, I go to a lot of sports shows. I enjoy most of them, but PF uh, Pheasant Fest is one of my favorites because it travels. It only comes to Minneapolis or this this market once every three years. So you know a little bit of anticipation uh, in between, and uh, they always have a, have a lot a lot of great guests, a lot of great stages, a lot of great content, and we'll probably talk to Jared about that. At the bottom of the hour, we will talk with Constance Cook and Jordan Warren. They're the couple that won that uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers cook-off here a couple weeks ago. Uh, we, we mentioned that on air, but we're going to have them on and talk about it. And uh, they're heading out to Missoula, Montana next month, probably five weeks from now, I'm guessing, to go out and represent Minnesota uh, at the uh, National Cook-Off. So I, I've talked to them a little off here. Great people. I think uh, listeners to this broadcast are going to enjoy that conversation. Um, yeah, we're here till the uh, till six o'clock, so there's going to be lots to talk about. Please stick around. Uh, one quick event coming up this week. Uh, there's a lot of folks, a lot in town, a lot of movers and shakers uh, for that pheasant fest. And Thursday night, out at Unmapped Brewing, that's in uh, Minnetonka, I believe, on Excelsior Boulevard. Not far from where I used to live, that Glen Lake area. I used to be, uh, <clears throat> my boys were, were Glen Lake Mighty Might uh, baseball players back in the day. Uh, but Unmapped is hosting a BHA, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, uh, pint night, uh, which is kind of like the modern version of a, of a banquet. You know, a lot of conservation groups would hold banquets to raise money. Well, BHA, their model is kind of pint nights where young guys get get together and sit around and uh, you know have a brew and talk conservation and, and do some silent raffles or raffles and silent auctions that sort of thing and raise money 
for uh, for the organization. And I've been to a couple in the metro area before, but Unmapped always does a really good job out there. And I'm going to be there Thursday night. So if anybody is offended by things that I say on this broadcast and wants to ask me about them or taunt me, uh, you're going to have an opportunity Thursday night. I will be at uh, at Unmapped Brewing for that. And, of course, I'm going to be at the Pheasant Fest all next weekend, too, at the Outdoor News booth. So good opportunity there. Folks would like to meet me or chat about uh, any outdoor topic. I would love to uh, to knock down some some topics. Uh, <clears throat> a lot uh, a lot of little news items, uh, cooking. You know, maybe we'll wait till the end and talk about the kind of the CWD issue, which uh, blew up here. But uh, one item I wrote about in my column this week is whether or not we're going to have legislation this coming legislative session. We're definitely going to have legislation. Whether or not it's going to go anywhere, I guess is the question. Allowing shotguns in the southern half of the state for deer hunting. Uh, if you're a deer hunter in southern Minnesota, you know that you can't use a centerfire rifle. You have to stick with a shotgun. And that goes back many, many years. Uh, a lot of people think it goes back because it's, it was a safety issue. That's not the case. It was more because the DNR wanted to make hunters in the southern part of the state less effective because there weren't a lot of deer in the southern half of the state back then, and so they limited them to shotguns. Well, what's happened is there's a lot of deer now, and the DNR says there's no biological reason not to allow hunters in the southern half of the state to use shotgun or use rifles for hunting deer. Well, there's a lot of people who consider it a safety issue, um, and there's a lot of debate over that. We already, we already got coyote hunters using rifles in the southern half of the state, a lot of the, the shotguns have advanced tremendously over the past 50 years with Sabo slugs and rifle barrels and scopes. And you can shoot a shotgun now a very long ways, not as far as a rifle. Uh, it doesn't have the foot-pounds of energy that a rifle does. But nonetheless, uh, the, um, <clears throat> the playing field has leveled a little bit, quite a bit, between shotguns and rifles. And uh, I interviewed a rep, uh, Josh Heintzman, Republican out of Nisswa who's got some legislation that, again, would make that legal. It almost passed last year, uh, but it, it died in the final days of the session, like most everything did in the final days of the last session. Uh, but he has reintroduced it. It's not clear if the uh, ranking DFLer, Rick Hansen, on the Environment Committee is going to give it a hearing. Uh, I asked Rick about that, and he was kind of noncommittal. Uh, the DNR is saying that they're neutral on the topic right now. Uh, for a number of reasons, I think they want to make sure that if we do it, it's it's a it's a statewide, region-wide thing. That it's not something we're leaving to county boards. That you know, creating a patchwork will, would create a lot of hassles at the, at the county board level. But I, you know, I'm curious if folks have a, a a view on that. By all means, shoot me an email, editor at outdoornews.com. Would love to print it as a letter to the editor, or maybe share that feedback here on WCCO Outdoors. Let's get in a break. We'll be back. We're going to talk about Pheasant Fest. When we return, so come on back, WCCO Outdoors. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline. Welcome to the broadcast. When we are done at 6 o'clock, stay tuned for 60 minutes. Uh, then uh, Steele talking, normally with Gerilyn Steele. She is not uh, around tonight, but uh, Shaletta Brundage will be hosting from 7 to 10 p.m. So, again, lots of uh, good content coming at you uh, after this broadcast. Now, as promised, I want to jump into an interview with my friend Jared Wickland from Pheasants Forever. We're going to talk about Pheasant Fest 2023. 
Now I would like to highlight an event that's coming up February 17th to 19th in Minneapolis. It's the annual Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. And we've got a special guest here right now to talk about it. It's Mr. Jared Wickland, Public Relations Manager for White Bear Lake-based Pheasants Forever. Jared, it's good to see you. How are you, my friend? Hey, Rob. Great. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a big time of year for us here at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever as we prepare for National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. And I think most people are coming off a, a really, really great upland bird season. Might have ended a little bit early with the amount of snow we had, but National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic is just kind of carries on that celebration of the season into bird dogs and shotguns and gear and just like-minded individuals that care about wildlife conservation. So happy to be here to talk about it. So the last time Pheasant Fest was in Minneapolis, it was kind of the last great hurrah before the pandemic hit. <laughs> yeah, uh, it certainly was, yeah. It was a fantastic show. I, I took my son and one of his buddies down there. We had a great day. I always enjoy Pheasant Fest when it's in Minneapolis. Now, have you had, I'm trying to remember, have you had a show since then or did the pandemic pretty well uh, put the kibosh on it for a couple of years? couple years uh we were down and out with not being able to hold pheasant fest we were supposed to supposed to go to sioux falls in uh 2021 for folks that are listening you know it's i think it was uh, february of 2020 is when our last show was at the minneapolis convention center and uh we finally got a national pheasant fest and quail classic in in 22 uh in omaha but yeah this is the first time we're going to be back here in a couple years and it really was a great show we had about 32,000 people and that was just a few couple weeks before the pandemic started and uh yeah things are going good though you know the the show floor has been selling well we got uh some new vendors there we've got some great seminars that are coming back and you know last time we were in minneapolis we had just north of thirty-two thousand attendees it was a big show and uh we're hoping for the same same this year for 23 now generally pheasant fest travels from year to year are are you kind of on a three-year rotation i presume that's one you want to get back to uh, it's yep. Minneapolis. Sioux Falls has got a great facility, obviously, in the heart of the pheasant range. And then you usually take it to another city like Omaha last year. Do you know where it's going in 2024 yet? 2024, I believe we're going to go back to we're going to go back to Sioux Falls. Uh, okay. 2024 is going to be back to Sioux Falls. Beyond that, I think they're still working on contracts. But yeah, mm-hmm. it is a show that travels around the country. You know, we've been to Kansas City, uh, Omaha, Des Moines, um, Chicago land area, which is which was great. And uh, we're always looking. You know, is there someplace else we should go? We've considered Denver before. We've considered Indianapolis before. There's a lot of bird hunters out east. I think that mm-hmm. would would love to get to the show. Maybe a little too far at times. But yeah, those are all. Con- considerations for us as we as we plan out future national pheasant fest and quail classic well, events well let's focus on 2023 and the great news that pheasant fest is going to be back in full force february 17th to 19th at the minneapolis convention center if folks want to buy tickets all that good information they can find at pheasantsforever.org uh, there is a little prelude to the show on thursday night tell us about that yeah, there is. There is a prelude to the show. So for the for the second time ever, we had it last time we were in Minneapolis, we've got our 2023 Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever Film Festival. So um, it's just a fun way. It's at the Poor House uh, in downtown Minneapolis on February 16th, starting at 530. There are tickets still available. And it's just a fun way to get together with Uplanders and kind of share that, share that passion for the field. And you know, pheasants and quail really define who Pheasants Forever is, and that's what that's what how 
our organization was born really here in Minnesota. But we're a lot more than that. We work on a lot of different habitats throughout the country. And some of the some of the species that are mentioned in the film festival, uh, we work on that habitat quite a bit. So that's everything from New Mexico quail to Midwest pheasants. Uh, we aren't quite up to Alaska ptarmigan yet or Swedish mm-hmm. capricali, but woodcock, uh, we do a lot of early successional habitat projects. So we've got some cool, uh, we've got some cool upland birds that are pretty well known here uh, for, for members of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever that are going to be, that are going to be viewed at this event, which I think is going to be cool. Short films, about five to 10 minutes at a time, plenty of time in between for raising money for public lands, which will be great. And then the official start of the show, every time you folks host a Pheasant Fest, is the Bird Dog Parade, correct? On Friday, tell us a little bit about that event. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. The Bird Dog Parade has always been a fan favorite. When you get to the convention center, that starts at 11 o'clock. The show opens at noon, but 11 o'clock really kicks it off with the Bird Dog Parade. And that's typically... Uh, over 100 dogs, typically over 40 breeds, and we have our partners from Perina um, and my boss and, and good friend Outdoor News too, Mr. Bob St. Pierre, up on the stage kind of talking about all the different bird dogs that are there. It's a fun event. We get a lot of kids and families that line up for that to learn about uh, learn about their favorite four-legged companion, and it's a fun way to kick off the show with just a bunch of bird dogs running through the convention center. My daughter's going to want me to pull her out of school for that one, uh, but uh, I'll see, see, <laughs> if, it, see if I can it, pull yeah. That off. Yeah. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Rob Dreesline with our friend Jared Wicklin from White Bear Lake-based Pheasants Forever, getting ready to kick off the 2023 Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, February 17th to 19th at the Minneapolis Convention Center. So, Jared, tell us a little bit about all these stages you folks have at the event. What are there, five stages? Is that what I'm seeing? That's yeah. really, in, in my opinion, as someone who's a, who's a habitat guy who loves public discourse on conservation and that sort of thing, man, oh, man, this is the place where it, uh, you guys are working hard with a lot of great stages. Uh, where do you start? Yeah, I think uh, the stages are kind of the, the big attractions, and we'll start with, with number one, I think, is the bird dog stage. So as some people may or may not know, Pheasants Forever members in general, about 85% of us own a dog or more. So dogs are, I, I like to call it sort of a gateway drug to the uplands, right? There's a lot of people that got their first dog and kind of turned into a bird dog and, and got them into the whole upland scene. So the bird dog stage is one of our most popular, highly anticipated events of the year. Um, and we've got a really star-studded roster of trainers, everything from uh, Rick and Ronnie Smith um, to just just a whole bunch of different trainers and people that are dedicated to training upland bird dogs in the field. It could be flushers. It could be pointers. There's just a lot of good information, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years of knowledge there on the stage that will be shared throughout Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. This Jerry Snetzinger sounds like an interesting guy. He has a seminar several times on how to get your dog out of a trap. It's very valuable to upland bird hunters. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, Jerry Snetzinger is new to the stage this year and a little bit about him. They call him the trap doctor, Jerry, the trap doctor Snetzinger. And uh, he grew up on the Mississippi River in 1950. Uh, He's got some ancestral ties to the White Earth tribe. He's a huge 
upland hunter in general. He's a life member of the Rough Grouse Society. He does hunt pheasants as well. Uh, but sort of his shtick is he dedicates his time to helping upland hunters and trappers find common ground on public lands. We've been hearing about it a little bit more and more each year, uh, you know, about how dogs do get caught in traps once in a while. It's it's public land, right? We're out there. We need to share the resources. Um, but that does happen from time to time. And Jerry's going to be there kind of talking about the history of trapping, regulations to be aware of. He's going to go over foothold traps, body gripping traps, snares, and the best tools for disengagement. And he's also going to have a lot of compl- complimentary zip ties, which are dog release kits for attendees while supplies last. If if you want some knowledge about how to get your dog out of a trap, he's going to be on the stage this year for 30 minutes. And he also has a booth and uh, just providing some great information for, for upland hunters and trappers alike. Again, folks can see the complete seminar schedule for Pheasant Fest by going to pheasantsforever.org. Just click uh, on the homepage there. You'll see all the details about Pheasant Fest, uh, including the extensive list of uh, of folks that are going to be involved with the seminars. I got to point out, uh, there's going to be, what, a a farm bill forum? That's something I like as a news guy. There's a lot of news making at this event with some some of these seminars you guys have. Absolutely. One of the new stages we have this year is what we're calling the main stage. So all the other stages uh, shut down at there's four different times uh, through throughout the weekend. It's Friday from three to four o'clock, Saturday from 11 to noon, Saturday from three to four and then noon, noon on Sunday. And a couple of the different seminars are going to be there. I'm moderating a couple of them. One is a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service panel, where we're going to be talking with uh, some professionals from the state of Minnesota um, that both are managers and work in their regional office in Bloomington. And that's everything from how are waterfall production areas managed? How do Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever work with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to both purchase and, and manage those types of things? There's a lot of questions we get through the year and you're probably a guy too rob you know there's a lot of people that hunt waterfall production areas they are a great resource for pheasant hunters and duck hunters alike and everything from hey why is there grazing management being used on this uh, particular piece to why don't we have food plots on those uh, types of lands and we're going to cover the education side uh, and also for the partners of fish and wildlife program which is a private side that landowners uh, really want to know about on the farm bill uh, which is going to be on saturday we're going to have our whole government team there and and hopefully a couple different legislators and and folks from federal agencies and we're going to be talking about the 2023 farm bill is being reauthorized this year it's the number one uh opportunity i guess i would say for people to give their voice to conservation on the advocacy side Uh, we're going to have some priorities that we're going to announce on that stage itself and i think people are going to you can figure out quickly how you can lend your voice to help put more acres, uh, not only of habitat, but of public access on the landscape through the farm bill. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good session. And I would point out that at 2 o'clock in the Public Lands Pavilion on Saturday, uh, I will be moderating a seminar, Minnesota's Legacy Amendment Panel. Uh, I know Sarah Strom, the DNR commissioner, will be on hand for that. So uh, yep. should, should, should definitely have some good dialogue on that. Another one that looks really interesting, uh, you got uh, Ryan Callahan from Meat Eater and my friend Katie McCallop from BHA talking about the corner crossing issue out west. So tip of the iceberg of all the great seminars there, folks. Again, go to pheasantsforever.org if you want to see everything that are cooking on those five seminar stages. So, Jerry, we've talked a lot about Friday and Saturday. Anything that folks definitely want to check out on Sunday, the final day of the show, that would be February 19th. 
Yeah, Sunday Sunday is a great day to come to the show. It's actually family day at our show. For So for $35, you get a free Pheasants Forever membership. Your whole family hmm. gets into the show for free, which I think wow. is pretty cool. There's a number of different panels and things um, that are going to be recurring, I guess, throughout the weekend. But one of them that's going to be new that day, and I actually get the pleasure of moderating, moderating it, is going to be a conservation CEO sort of meet and greet uh, and panel. We're, we're going to talk about some of the most pressing issues that uh, some of your big conservation groups, so Rough Grouse Society, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. We're going to have all those CEOs up on stage answering questions, and at the end, there's going to be a nice meet and greet, including our very own uh, Howard Vincent, who's going to be outgoing here in a few months, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. incoming president and CEO, uh, Marilyn Vetter. So for folks that are going to be around, I would encourage you to come out and, and meet those folks. It's a it's a great group of, of CEOs with a, with a lot of knowledge and a lot of a lot of things to share. Definitely some big guns will be on hand. Encourage folks to check that out. One more time, find all the details at pheasantsforever.org. Is that the best place to look, Jared? Pheasantsforever.org, or you can go straight to www.pheasantfest.org, and it's got all the details there as well. Perfect. Well, I will be down there all three days. Looking forward to seeing you guys, Jared, and, and seeing a lot of the folks that are listening. It's going to be a great show. It's always a great event. You bet. We appreciate the support and look forward to seeing you down there along with all of our members and upland hunters and conservationists. All right. Take care, Jared. You too. See complete details, pheasantfest.org. Let's break more of the show after these messages. Welcome back to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. It's 535 on this February 12th. Last week I mentioned uh, I went out and chased some guys around on uh, on a falconry outing in the West Metro, and folks who are eagerly anticipating that story, uh, it'll be in the print version of this week's Outdoor News uh, this coming week, and if you stop at Pheasant Fest, you can pick up your free copy, so you can uh, can see that story that I talked about here last week on the show. Now I want to jump into an interview with a young couple from Red Wing. They won the recent Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Minnesota Cook-Off and they're here now to share their story on WCCO Outdoors. I want to chat now with a pair who, uh, in late January, became the latest couple to represent Minnesota uh, in the uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers annual cook-off. Their names are Constance Cook and Jordan Warren, and they join me now. Folks, thanks a lot for uh, jumping into the broadcast. How are you doing today? Doing, doing great. great. Thanks for having us. So Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, an organization that's really come on strong the past five or six years, past decade, based out in Missoula, Montana. They have their rendezvous every year, and part of the rendezvous is the big wild game cook-off. It's a lot of fun to watch. It seems like it gets better year after year. Uh, You folks have attended a couple of those, or at least one of those national rendezvous, correct, and uh, been pretty impressed? Yeah, we were at the national rendezvous last year, actually, uh, just for a day. And so kind of got to experience the vendors and uh, just kind of the whole atmosphere. And it was, yeah, it was really, really fun. And uh, last year, as well as the year before, a couple of Minnesotans, uh, Greg and Peak Volley, represented Minnesota at the cook-off. And they won it both years. Uh, and I talked I talked to a couple of the judges last year, kind of behind the scenes, at, you know, after it was announced. And they said, those guys, they were just the best. You guys, tell me if I'm wrong, in 2022, did you come in second place to uh, to Greg and Pete? You know, they uh, never actually told us. I'm not sure if they did uh, different place standings, but absolutely a lot of fun and a privilege to to cook next to them uh, and see what they came (laughs) up with. Experience-wise, too, they taught us a lot from the previous year to 
uh, this year we upped our game in the experience or the kind of just the presentation of, of our dish. So that brings us to the last weekend in January when you folks won the competition. Uh, and Greg and Pete decided, they announced at the rendezvous last year that they were retiring, that they yeah. decided they didn't, they didn't want to do it anymore. So it was a wide open field. Did that inspire you guys a little bit going into the competition and uh, at the icebreaker? It was up at Lake Mille Lac, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, well, last year was our first year participating in the wild game cook-off and we, uh, you know, didn't know exactly what to expect from it and didn't uh, have as much prepared as far as like the presentation part of the cook-off went. We made a pretty, pretty good dish, I felt like, but uh, from last year to this year, we definitely wanted to try and improve in some of those areas like the presentation. So what did you make in 2022? Uh, we made something that we uh, called wild turkeyla tacos. It was a wild turkey that I had shot in the spring, and both uh, Constance and I are, are fans of tequila. And so we put a little tequila in the pan when we were frying up a wild turkey. And um, tacos is something that we have pretty much every Tuesday. Yep. So- and uh, it was a, a fun experience, too, to try to bring some elements of, of Minnesota into the dish. So we were uh, cooking in the the ice house and press our own tortillas with some wild rice oh, grain wow. in it and mm-hmm. just kind of found ways to make it special and to, to use things that are, are locally sourced here. Greg and Pete are absolute masters at that whole Min- yeah, Minnesota ingredients. Uh, they, you know, I think that's something that really impressed the judges in the past with them. All right. So we're going into 2023. It's a wide open field. Uh, you guys got to be feeling pretty confident. Uh, what Tell us about the dish you prepared this year and how the event went. This year we prepared a uh, kind of a, a northern take on a southern staple, which is chicken and waffles. Uh, but instead of a fried chicken, we did a, a pheasant. Uh, so it was a wild pheasant and waffles, basically, and brought back the wild rice grain again this year. And instead, um, we ground it into flour and used that within our, our waffle. That's so. fantastic. So where, where did you get the wild rice? Is this wild rice you had harvested? Or I know Greg and Pete are big wild rice guys. Yeah, so uh, it wasn't uh, harvested by us. It's Minnesota grown. We actually uh, would love to go out um, and harvest them our- ourselves. Pete and Greg actually did invite us out to, yes. to do that sometime. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably take them up on that yep. some year. But that's something I've gotten into the past few years is wild racing. And I've got like 35 pounds of wild rice sitting in my pantry right now that I've got to eat between now and the next wild rice <laughs> season. And I've thought about trying that flour thing. Is uh, How does that go? You just take the already dried grains and, and grind it down? Yeah. Yep. We just used a mortar and pestle and, and ground it, you know, as fine as we could get it to incorporate it into our, our flour for the, the waffle batter. And then on top of our chicken and waffle or pheasant and waffle sandwich that we made, uh, we had harvested over the summer from our property here in Red Wing some black caps or black raspberries, mm-hmm. wild black raspberries, and we made that into a syrup uh, that we used on top and then drizzled a little bit of a homemade hot sauce that Jordan and I make here in our home. Awesome. How many teams were represented this year? How many teams did you compete against? Uh, there were four four teams total. I believe there were... Um five that had signed up and one had to kind of back out last minute from the sounds of it. So there were four teams. Now I didn't, I didn't get up there. Was the competition pretty, pretty heavy or did you guys feel pretty confident when you saw the other, uh, the other dishes that were brought forth? I don't know if we, how confident we were feeling actually. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, I mean, the first year we, 
we did it just because it was something we had never tried before, you know, cooking in any kind of a competitive area. And we had a ton of fun doing it. So that's really the reason why we, we chose to enter again this year. And we had fun. But the other contests or the other teams were just so prepared and had some really creative <laughs> ideas that, you know, kudos to all of the teams. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. We are chatting with Constance Cook and Jordan Warren from Red Wing, Minnesota. The Minnesota chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers recently held its annual cook-off, and this couple stole the show. So were you shocked when Greg Cavalli, he was one of the judges, when he announced uh, you guys were the winners? Yeah, we were <laughs> We were absolutely shocked. So we trialed out our dish um, a couple, couple days before the actual mm. competition, mm-hmm. and I think both of us kind of thought that 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 time that we had made the dish turned out better than the competition one. (laughs) So uh, our own worst critic. Yeah, (laughs) sure. sure. Which could be, could be the case, but yeah, we were definitely surprised and, and uh, shocked that when they called our names, we are chatting with Constance cook and Jordan Warren, uh, the uh, couple from Red Wing, Minnesota, who won the recent backcountry hunters and anglers, Minnesota chapters cook off. Now what that means is you folks are going to go represent, the chapter and our fine state out in Missoula, Montana at the national BHA rendezvous, which is a little earlier this year. Last year was in May. I was out there too last year. Uh, this year it's going to fall over uh, St. Patrick's day weekend, March. Is it 16th to 18th? I believe are the yep. dates. Oh my God. Yep. So you're pretty excited about that. You got your tickets booked. Yeah, we're excited. Can't knock a, a trip to Montana and uh, the honor of doing our best to represent Minnesota there. I don't know if you're aware, but last year, Pete and Craig, they bought, they brought a canoe all the way out yeah. for, for the judges to sit on <laughs> to yeah. really give them the full Minnesota experience. I think Pete was, Pete was even saying they had um, somebody kind of hanging out behind the canoe playing loon sounds with their cell phone to kind of just give the uh, judges the full experience and just kind of really take them on a, take them on a journey, I think is how we put it. It was a heavy canoe, too. I believe I helped them load that back up uh, and, and haul it. So it was a big aluminum canoe. But Greg and Pete, just awesome guys. And I'm glad Absolutely. they've been able to give you two a, a little bit of feedback. Well, congratulations to both of you. It's a pleasure getting to know you a little bit. And you guys have have a great backstory. We should talk about that. I just got a minute left. But you, you uh, Constance, you went to uh, St. Ben's. Is that right? And yeah. and then, uh, uh, Jordan, you went, you're Johnny, huh? Correct. Yep. That's where we met. You met in the library, is that right? <laughs> yeah, finals week, kind of right before I was going to graduate, and uh, that was where we met. I think I uh, had decided that I wanted to give Constance my number, and uh, went up to a table with her and and another couple people that I didn't know, and basically handed her a little slip of paper and said, "If you want, you can call me, and if not, that's okay too." And mm-hmm. and uh, she took the slip of paper and she said, "Thanks." Yep. And I walked away, and from her the, point of view, yeah, the the best part is that he didn't talk quietly, so he walked away, and I had hun- a couple hundred sets of eyes staring at me. <laughs> uh, so it was a a great way to meet, a very special uh, memory, and something that that we get to laugh and about and share. It's a pretty good story, I think. Folks can read Brian's story about uh, Constance and Jordan. At OutdoorNews.com, we posted that if folks uh, want to check it out. Well, I'm very excited. Greg and Pete are good friends of mine. 
but I'm really excited to see some new blood representing Minnesota uh, at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous out in Missoula, Montana. Best of luck to you, and uh, we'll have to check in after the event and see how you did. Absolutely. That so. sounds good. Thanks for having us, and, and thanks for shining a spotlight on, on BHA. A lot of good, worthy cause uh, and great people involved there. Absolutely. It's a, it's a wonderful organization uh, focused on public lands. Thanks again for joining us uh, on the broadcast and good luck out in Missoula, Montana. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. That was Constance Cook and Jordan Warren. They are going to be representing Minnesota chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers at the big national cook-off at the rendezvous for that organization out in Missoula, Montana, March 16th, 17th, and 18th. We'll find out how they did uh, perhaps after that event. Let's get in a break. More of the broadcast after these messages. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830-551 on this February 12th, Super Sunday. Hope folks are enjoying time with family on a big day like this and uh, coming off a nice weekend where they enjoyed uh, the great outdoors a little bit. Uh, We're here for a few more minutes, uh, then stay tuned for 60 minutes at the top of the hour. And then uh, Steel Talking, Shaletta Brundage will be filling in for Geraldine Steel. That show will run from 7 to 10 p.m. this evening. A couple final thoughts as we wrap up this week's show. I wrote a little bit in my column about chronic wasting disease. And, you know, there's a lot of headlines about CWD. We talk about it a lot in the out, in, in outdoor news and, and in general in the outdoor scene to the point where you'd think it's, it's behind every corner, right, that every deer out there is infected. And part of my column's point this week was just to kind of pause and say, okay, it's it's not good in Wisconsin. It ain't good next door, folks, especially in that endemic zone west of Madison. But here in Minnesota so far, we're in pretty decent shape. Uh, the worst part of the state is southeastern Minnesota, right where I hunt. <clears throat> Deer permit area, 346. It's now 646, part of the uh, CWD management zone here. They had, I believe, six more positive deer in that deer management zone, deer permit area this year. And that's six more than we want uh, in that area. I think we had another 27 positives statewide that were found by deer hunters this year. Uh, As we speak, the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources is doing some targeted culling. That's a nice way of saying they got sharpshooters out there uh, killing some deer in areas where the CWD rates are higher. The DNR trying to keep um, you know the deer population a little lower in those areas to try to slow down the spread of this disease. So there might be a few more positives that are found yet this winter. But 27 for the year is not too bad, and most of those were all found in southeastern Minnesota. Two down in extreme southern Houston County, and I was talking to Tim Spielman, the editor of Minnesota Outdoor News, about that, and he made a point that I thought was interesting. I just kind of assumed that those were a couple of bucks that uh, had worked their way south from uh, infected areas farther north, in southeastern Minnesota, and he pointed out that right across the Iowa border, Almakee County, they have chronic wasting disease, Almakee County, Iowa, and that possibly what we were seeing there was two deer that were the northern edge of that infection area, not so much two deer from the southern edge of of the Minnesota infected zone. So an interesting way to look at that. I would want to drill into that a little bit more. But 27 positives, I'm guessing, of the 27, 
25, 23, 24, 25, we're all in the southeast. So it's it's mostly a southeast Minnesota phenomenon, folks. Uh, to date, since the first wild deer was found positive in Minnesota, I think it was in 2010, we've had 198 deer test positive. This is in a state that takes you know, not quite 200,000 deer per year. So, I mean, think about those numbers. Uh, less than 200 deer in how many deer have we killed in Minnesota since 2010, if you, if you figure 200,000, I mean, a couple million. So that that's that's a very, very low prevalency rate. Any, any amount is too high. But the point is that chronic wasting disease is expanding very slowly. And even in the areas where it's endemic, like where I hunt, unfortunately, uh, the the prevalency rate is probably well less than 1%. So, you know, this is something I try to tell my wife and my, my mom, and they don't necessarily want to hear it, that, hey, even in an area where we've got it, the highest rates in the state, it's like, you know, a 1 in 100 chance that you're going to shoot a deer with CWD. And you can get it tested and then, you know, make sure that your deer doesn't have it and ensure that, um, you know, you're not eating a potentially infected deer, which, again, there's been no evidence that CWD can can jump to humans yet. Uh, nonetheless, it's not something we want to push. I would never I would never recommend anybody eat uh, a, a white-tailed deer or any wild game that they know has been infected with something. We got, a, we got some new legislation brewing on chronic wasting disease. I suspect we're going to be talking about that a lot uh, in coming weeks here on WCCO Outdoors. We're down to our final 30 seconds. Uh, as I have mentioned before, especially on days like this, which in a way is kind of a, a holiday in the United States, I want to thank uh, police officers, EMTs, hospitals, uh, radio producers like Jonathan Lowe uh, here at WCCO, everybody who's working hard to keep society moving while everyone else is having a good time. Everybody, have a great week out of doors. Rob Dreesline, signing off for WCCO Outdoors.